Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Disruptability Podcast. Today, we're talking to Kate Nash from Purple Space and the creator of the hashtag Purple Lightup. She has some incredible insights for employers in this interview. I hope you enjoy it and thank you for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Disruptability Podcast. I am absolutely delighted to start 2020 with uh, Kate Nash from Purple Space, who I have been following for a while and love the work that she's doing with Purple Space and the Purple Light Up movement. So uh, hello, Kate Nash. How are you? Hello, Claire. Yes, I'm really good. Thank you. Here we are in the middle of January, but I still feel like it's the new year. So yes, bright and fresh and shiny and ready for a good year and a good decade. Yes, absolutely. And we'll just explain to our listeners that we don't have, or especially for the people on YouTube, uh, we don't have any video, but we have good audio. So that's the most important. So Kate, um, do you want to start by telling us a little bit about Purple Space and what you do? Of course. So Purple Space is a membership organisation comprised of companies, individuals who are heading up disabled employee networks or employee resource groups as they're often called. And what we do is deliver best practice information about how to set up and deliver a high performing network. We support our members to get their hands on the tools, the know-how, the techniques, all of the collateral and the resources that they need to deliver high performing networks. And importantly, what we do is we build what we call community and unity. So as we know, this is a, a subject, a topic that's often tackled at what I would say at the top of the shop. So it's always about the policies and the practices and the procedures. But what we do is to support disabled employees through the networks, really to lean into their career and to support the business to learn directly from their experiences in order to improve performance over time. So that's what we do. We've been around for four years and we now have 600 members across 100 organisations, not just in the UK, but global businesses who are now all pushing for change. That sounds brilliant. And how do you do it? Do you run workshops or do you go into the companies and run trainings? We do a little bit of everything, Claire. Um, when we first set up, and Purple Space came out from a book that I wrote some years ago called Secrets and Big News. And Secrets and Big News was all about how hard it is as individuals to talk about our disability and to bring our authentic selves to work. We don't always enjoy taking part in monitoring exercises, etc. Um, so, yeah, so Purple Space was really uh, a response to the provocation that was contained within the book. We gave 15 big ideas for employers and employees to, to try and set up a reference group. And what was wanted, so how we deliver, we deliver in different ways. So one, we have an online uh, membership zone. And in that zone, uh, members can download resources, uh, publications, best practice materials. Um, two, they can connect with each other 
So this is about employee networks from different types of businesses. They can share what they're doing. They can ask for information. They can ask for tips and advice about maybe how others have done it. So for example, they might be setting up a, a storytelling campaign like this is me or be yourself. And they want some advice from a friendly contemporary who's gone down that road. So that's the kind of member zone. And then um, the two other things that we do are, one, we do run some face-to-face -face events, uh, but we much more deliver podcasts now, like Your Good Self, um, and webinars. We have coaches. We have some amazing people that will coach our members online. Um, and then lastly, we deliver the Purple Light Up, which is increasingly becoming a global movement to support any organizations to use International Day of Persons with Disabilities on the 3rd of December as a hook to either launch a new initiative or to reflect back on what has been achieved. So yeah, we, we engage and support in a multitude of, of ways, Claire. The book that you were talking about, is that available on Purple Space? Yes, members will get that for free in, in the back end of the member zone. There are still copies available on Amazon. Um, but the ideas in the book are really about how employers can make it easier for people to be who they are. Um, the, 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 the title of the book, Secrets and Big News, was a bit tongue-in-cheek. Um, and the reason why we called it that is because we often see employers fall into the trap of using the language of declaration or, or disclosure. And of course, if you use a language of disclosure, you're suggesting that the other party has a secret. Um, or indeed, if you use the language of declaration, it sounds like somebody has a big piece of news. And as we know, the reality of most people's lives, people who have a disability or a, a mental ill health or who have had an accident or an injury that impacts on their day-to-day -day living and their, and their uh, ability to do work, most individuals wouldn't want that type of language used about their experience. So, um, so yes, the book is still available and the ideas are still current. Um, we talk about building disability confidence from the inside out. That's what we're all about. And it's about how networks can support individuals who are directly impacted on, uh, by disability to feel good and confident about themselves and their lives but it's also a play on words, helping organizations to build good practice by learning directly from their own people through networks and resource groups. Language is huge, isn't it, Kate? Do you find that there is a lot of fear around language when you go into organizations? Yes, very much so, Claire. We, um, I think it's one of the challenges um, in our worlds. Um, you know, all protected characteristics have different challenges in how employers can develop policies to include their talent and make adjustments, et cetera, et cetera. But we are, um, we are plagued in this space by the limitations of language. And, you know, on the one hand, it, you know, I think we, we, you know, we have to concede that the area is so problematic that it's, it's really the only language that we have. You know, there is a, a definite, there's a technical definition about what constitutes a disabled person, um, not just in the, uh, the UK legislation, the DDA, but in many legislations across the world. There is, a, there is a legislative definition of what constitutes a disabled person. And yet 
meanwhile, back at the ranch, it's a language and a semantics, I think, that individuals, um, even those that may be very politicised, you know, and understand the social model of disability and what that means, um, would, you know, most individuals, if pushed, uh, would prefer not to use that language or to assign that language to themselves because of all of the, I suppose, the, um, the stereotypes that, that come with that. So you're absolutely right. Language is a, is a massive challenge in our area. Yeah, it's one of the challenges that I've come across more and more. And it's funny because I'm, I'm actually a language teacher. And, uh, and now within my own lang native language, English, and within this field, I'm like, wow, it's very dynamic. Language is always changing with society. And certainly in the disability field, it's changing. And depending on who you're talking to and um, some people want to use different language and um, describing the same thing and therefore it can be very confusing and it can be very confusing for employers who I believe have the right intention they want to do the right thing but then they're afraid of saying the wrong thing yes absolutely and you know it's partly about the frailty of human beings, isn't it? I mean, none of us mostly want to offend another human being. Um, yes, it happens and we look out across the world and we're living in a complex and, and challenging world. But, you know, I'm an optimist and I, I strong, I choose, I deliberately choose to believe that mostly human beings, we would prefer not to offend others. And therefore, we're constrained by this language of disability because if we're not familiar with it and we don't really understand the origins and uh, the legal definitions, it may be that we feel that we're offending others by using that language. And, and if, if we feel that, then we're unlikely to get into a healthy debate and want to think about what we can do as individuals differently and better to recruit better, to retain better and to have the conversations that we need in order that people feel good about asking for a workplace assessment. So, yes, it's a devilishly difficult area, simply because of the language. Yeah, definitely. Okay, um, so in terms of uh, employers, what advice would you give them if their intention is good and they want to start somewhere? Where do they start? Wow. Well, I, I'm a great believer in getting excited around a topic. Employers, after all, they want... Uh, to hire great talent. They want to ensure that their, their talent is uh, motivated and excited in order to deliver well according to their vision and their mission. Um, and they want to stay within the law. You know, they don't want to break the law and through that process they often get more excited about the things that we can do to retain great talent. So what can employers do? I think there are a number of things. Um, one, you, you will know in Cork and Surrounds of the amazing work of Caroline Casey. Mm -hmm. who is single-handedly going across the globe supporting uh, global companies to set up, uh, to, sorry, to sign up to the Valuable 500 movement. So I think the first thing to do, I mean, yes, if that's appropriate for an employer, then absolutely do that. It's a very simple ask, and it's simply about a chief executive making a commitment to put disability on the board agenda in a way that has never been done before. So that's a very simple ask. There's no financial cost. And what we often find, the simple act of doing that provokes and promotes 
a conversation really at the highest level about what a business is doing in relation to recruiting and supporting. That's the first thing. I think the second thing is to break it down into manageable components. Um, you know, I often talk about, you know, if it's, if it's a business issue, it's a disability issue. And what I mean by that is, you know, gone are the days where disability is simply seen as a, a human resource issue, or it's simply uh, an issue of equal opportunities or diversity and inclusion. Uh, disability is an, is an issue that impacts every part of the business, whether it's about engaging with your shareholders, whether it's about products and services, whether it's about how you serve uh, clients and customers better, whether it's about your IT and your functions, etc. So this is a, it's a human issue that has huge ramifications again, around everything that a, a business does. I think the first thing an employer can do, particularly if they're coming from a long way back, is to think about setting up, even if it's a short life steering group or a committee, to start to think about what a business, what an organisation has currently done to support people into work. And where are the challenges? Where are the gaps? And what can be done to mitigate? So what I mean by that is very often companies will need to take a fresh look at their workplace adjustment process. So we often find in our membership that one of the reasons why companies join is because they don't always have an easy to use and visible workplace adjustment process. And one of the quickest wins an employer can do in the establishment of a, maybe a, a steering group or a task group is to take a fresh look at that workplace adjustment process. Because in effect, even if you boil it down to just employment, there's two key parts of that process. There's the front end, how you attract great purple talent, disabled talent, what, what do you do at the recruitment phase and the, and the outreach and the onboarding? And then when you've secured that talent, what are you gonna do to support that person to get the adjustments they might need? And often what falls down is the absence, I suppose, of an easy to use, elegant, very um, easy to find workplace adjustment process. So making sure that an employer feels that they've got hand on heart, a good workplace adjustment process is a really good idea. And then thirdly, I would suggest, and of course I'm biased because we support companies and employers to set up networks but I think one of the great, you know, when we look across the world, those organisations, those employers, whether public or private sector, that are really motoring and really doing well, they tend to be organisations that choose to learn directly from their own people. So they've, they've either set up a network or a resource group, or if the numbers prevent that, they've set up some kind of mechanism whereby they can learn from the experiences of their own people. So that's what I would say, get excitement from the top, think about some kind of mechanism or vehicle whereby you can measure and test progress over time. There's some sort of steering group with different people with different functions on that group. And then thirdly, I think deliberately about how you learn directly from your own people. Kate, that's fantastic advice. And um, just a couple of things from what you said there. Um, 
it's not even just about recruiting the people. Often people acquire the disability during their working lifetime with the company. So um, it's about retaining that person. And as you say, having the adjustments in place. I have a question for you. Um, in Britain, are the um, supports good enough for disability in the workplace? I think we've still got a long way to go, Claire. I am an optimist and I have had a very long career in this space, both as a lobbyist, uh, eyeballing ministers for a living, not for the faint hearted. Um, but back in the day, pre-95, I was lobbying employers and parliamentarians for anti-discrimination legislation for disabled people. Um, and here I am now in 2020 supporting uh, through Purple Space, the creation of a, a huge community of employee networks. So, I, I mean, I think a lot has been done, but I think still a lot more needs to be done. Mm -hmm. as, as you say, and it goes back to, yeah, it goes back to something you just said. So yes, recruitment of it, of course, is important, but much, 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 much more important is the 83, 84% of all disabled people um, are those individuals who acquire their disability through the course of their working life. So anything from the ages of, say, 16 upwards. Um, there's no cut-off. I think many of us will be working forever. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a big population of individuals who start out in life with one set of expectations and experiences and then, um, and then uh, you know, acquire a health condition or a mental health condition or... Um, or, or a human experience that then derails them, sometimes for a period of time and, and sometimes for a lifetime. So, and what that means is it's really hard for employers to get this right. I think there is lots more that needs to be done. Um, you know, going back to those three tips, I think it is about uh, exciting chief execs. This is not a philanthropic issue anymore. We're way, way, way past that. And I think if, um, if, if, uh, business leaders can be persuaded that this is uh, uh, an issue that is, 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 is much more, you know, we've, we've gone past having to prove the business case now. This is about a big raft of individuals who are likely to experience disability through the, the course of their working life. And so being able to set up easy, elegant workplace adjustment processes so that people can access what they need is really important. So, yeah, I'm an optimist. Lots has been done, but lots more needs to be done. I think the work that you're doing in court is absolutely fantastic. You know, power to your elbow, to you and your networks, the employers that you're in touch with. Um, you know, sometimes, regrettably, this issue, you know, because a lot of global companies are London headquartered, you know, there's no way of getting around that. But the, the vast employers we have across uh, the UK and in other countries and jurisdictions like Highland, you know, our dear friends, I think what you're doing is, is remarkable. So exciting employers, making it easy through a systematic approach and learning directly from your own people um, is really important. Um, one thing that I find is a lot of smaller companies may not have enough employees to have a network. Do you find with Purple Space that that's where it's good for the smaller companies to be able to send some individuals and that they're meeting up with bigger networks 
and sharing the information then with um, other organisations? Yes, very much so. I think, you know, one of the, the models that I enjoy, so um, sometimes in, I suppose, geographical locales where there may be many employers where they're not, uh, they're not huge employers, uh, they're, they're not of the size where they can fully justify a disabled employee network and or they don't have gender networks or BAME networks or LGBT network. It's, it's just a structure that's not going to work for them. Then the other thing that we often see happen is where employers might team up with each other. You know, there may be a network of employers within a region and then they will have a, a, like a spin-off network of some key disabled people within those networks so that they can uh, generate and stimulate conversations about how to set up a storytelling campaign or how they can pull resources and ideas to think about career development opportunities for disabled people or how to build confidence and resilience type programs, etc. So yes, there's various many ways to skin a cat. Um, you know, yes, we do, of course, enjoy the mechanism of disabled employee networks, but they're not for every employer. Um, and if that's not the case, that there's lots of other things that an employer can do to make sure that they are improving policy authentically, I suppose, through the lived experience of their own people, but then um, stealing ideas of others. You know, this is quite a generous space, I say, stealing. You know, we often see groups of employers choose to work together, maybe meet four times a year to share best practice, uh, swap notes. There's a, what I would call a generosity of spirit in this space. So uh, different ways that you can do that. I know you're already doing that, Claire, but I think different ways in which employers can get together and share best practice in a geographical locale is, is really good idea. Yeah, I think it's the only way we can accelerate the conversation really is to collaborate and to share ideas and to learn from things that go right and things that go wrong. And because disability is complex, I mean, between starting from the head down, whether it's intellectual or cognitive or sensory or physical, it is a, a complex area, isn't it? Absolutely, Claire. And, yeah. you know, we fall into the trap of thinking that, you know, you have to know it all. And, and yeah. of course that's not the case. There are hundreds of thousands of different types of impairment and severity and, and, and no same impairment impacts, of course, the same person or different people in the same way. So, you know, you, 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 there's some themes and truths about how to uh, remove barriers uh, for people with the same or similar impairments, whether that's vision impairment or, or, or being deaf and hard of hearing, the reality is we are all different. And so, um, yes, employers don't need to know it all. They just need to know how to remove barriers, how to write, ask the right questions, and then how to source good information to secure that workplace adjustment. Exactly. I think I've, have I lost something? Are you still there? Still here? Can you hear okay, me? sorry. Yeah, no, I thought I lost the sound. Um, no, that 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 is key. Um, anything else that you want to um, tell us today before we finish up, Kate, about uh, where we are with disability and um, disability business inclusion? I think one thing we, we talk by email is the the beauty of allyship, as we call it. 
you know, one of the things, again, we see in Purple Space is huge growth of allies programs. Um, it's a language that um, you know, we see played out within the LGBT, LGBT plus um, uh, networks and narrative. And, you know, we, we often find that employers over time will start to develop uh, an allies program or an allies network, which can be a really powerful mechanism to drive change. Um, and that ally program might be augmented with a, a simple set of uh, things that an ally can do. So if you say you're a purple ally or a disability ally, um, you might launch that program. You might have information on an internal portal about what that ally can do. And again, it's just another way of generating excitement from the internal change agents who may feel frustrated. They may feel that they want to do something and to be helpful and useful, but don't always know what to do. So a lot of organizations are now developing a, a short set of um, things that an ally can do to support the process of change. So, so that, that would be a last mention from me. Yeah, no, allyship is huge. And I suppose just to clear up, with Purple Space, do you have to have a disability to be a member of Purple Space or not? No, not at all. Exactly. Allies can join too, can't they? 100%. Yes, Claire. You touched on an important point. You know, we always recommend what we call inclusive networks. Yeah. So the majority of our members will have networks comprised of, of course, disabled people and uh, good numbers of non-disabled allies who genuinely just want to make a difference. They might have a strong sense of justice or they might have had indirect experience, maybe their parents or their children or siblings, or they may have directly line managed somebody and just wants to, to share their information. So yeah, inclusive networks is where it's at. Yeah, driving that healthy conversation is, is where it's at. Perfect, perfect. And um, Purple Light Up, you were running around in a taxi this year with Caroline Casey. <laughs> it was it was wonderful it yeah. was great wonderful <laughs> yeah so purple light up is increasingly becoming the digital i suppose global movement in the same way as the pride movement um as the color purple has become for whatever reason and we've done our homework and research some years ago why purple we don't know we can't find the actual reason but nonetheless it seemed very clear some years ago that purple is increasingly becoming the colour that is synonymous with all disabilities. So it was, it was about three years ago I sent a stray tweet into the world that maybe the time was right for employers and networks and disabled people and allies to use the 3rd of December International Day of Persons with Disabilities as a, as a moment to make a lot of noise, not just for glam and glitz and purple and tinsel's sake, um, but to genuinely state what that company has done in the past year or to announce its commitment on disability or to announce something it's choosing to do in the following year. So it's gone global. It's, we've lost control. It's absolutely wonderful. And uh, yes, as you, as you say, we were, uh, Caroline and I, the wonderful woman who heads up Valuable 500, were in a taxi in London, kidnapped various senior business leaders and interviewed them uh, in a purple taxi on the 3rd of December, filmed it. We couldn't quite live stream because we wanted to ensure 
that it was uh, translated and and sign language interpreted so mm -hmm. so we had to wait a couple of days but yes they're all online and uh, we can give you the sheet so you can you can share that with your with your own networks Claire but it was wonderful yeah I was watching them on LinkedIn and on Twitter and it's great well done well done and it's fun and that's the thing and I love the way you say you're an optimist and you know we can live very full lives with our disabilities um, as long as society allows us to participate fully, it'll, why can't it be a full life? You know, where it's difficult is when barriers are put in your way. That's what makes it difficult. Um, so we just need to get the awareness out there to say, you know, if you did this and change that, then we can all participate. And who wouldn't want that? Yeah, absolutely, Claire. It's that sense of fun and optimism. You know, the world unfolds as it should. And this is a subject that is often deviled with seen as quite negative or or you know or, or difficult but purple light up and you know a day to take stock and um and to celebrate celebrate our economic contribution there are many many millions of us working across the world delivering well and we want our organizations to do well uh, so yeah it's about celebration as much as everything else here here well said kate nash Kate, thank you so much for taking my call today and I wish you every success um, onwards and upwards in 2020 and 2020 and hopefully I'll get to meet you soon. Huge pleasure, Claire. Thank you for the invitation and uh, yeah, good luck. And mate, you're doing amazing work. So for all of you, your audience, your connections, your networks and the employers you work with, good luck for the next year. Brilliant. Thank you, Kate. Talk soon. Cheers. Yeah.